Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Awesome. That's so cool. Look at all those kiddos. Goodness gracious, you guys have been prolific. Good job. That's awesome. Well, one other announcement. Um, if you, as you look at your calendars, October 29th is a Saturday. We are having our Deeper Life conference on that one day only. We're bringing a couple of speakers up from Calgary. And so join us for that. It's going to be a really, really good day. Uh, it's going to be kind of a part one, part two. So Saturday will be part one. And then further on into March, we're going to be having part two. Uh, So come on out for part one of our Deeper Life Conference. It's going to be really, really fantastic. Well, today's a good day. Um, I'm a a big tool guy. I I love tools. I love playing with tools. I I love looking at tools. I love to go to Canadian Tire and just stare at all the amazing tools on the shelves. I especially like when people like Bruce invite me over and I get to play with all of his tools. That's lots of fun. I've started to gather some of my own tools around the house, and I've got a little bit of a tool closet going on, which is great. And I'm not super, super good at at using the tools yet, but I'm sort of kind of handy. I like what Red Green says, if the women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy, right? And that's a good motto there. Uh, So I have a a modest amount of tools and uh, enough to get the job done, usually. So if there's a job around the house, I can usually get it done with what I have. Um, hammers, drills, saws, that kind of stuff. Um, but my wife, my wife has me beat. Now, I didn't tell her I was going to share this story with you uh, or this illustration with you, so I owe her an ice cream. Uh, but she has me beat in the tools department. She has a kind of one of this uh, all-in-one handy-dandy tool um, that most of you might call a butter knife. Uh, But she uses this puppy for just about every problem around the house. So if she needs to unscrew a screw, she uses this guy. If she needs to uh, pry the lid open on a paint can, boy, she goes for this guy. This guy pretty much can do anything and everything around the house that all my fancy tools can do. uh, But it, it can even spread butter. It's just a fantastic little tool. But the thing is, uh, my wife's handy-dandy go-to tool for all these things um, is not designed to do all those things. It's designed to spread butter. And so I don't know if you can tell. You probably can't see from there, but this one's just a little bit warped. This is a newer one that she has. Um, She's gone through a couple versions of this before. And every once in a while, I'll dig into the drawer looking for something to spread my butter on my toast, and I'll find twisted, warped... um, knives like this that are no good anymore for spreading butter because they've been used for unintended purposes. Now, just like the butter knife, you were created with a design and a purpose. And it's an amazing design. You were created to do amazing things, which are wonderful and awesome. But when you live outside of your purpose— And when you use yourself or someone uses you for nefarious purposes, sometimes you get a little bent. You get a little warped because you're being used for ways and things that that you are not designed to be used for. And sometimes you get a little twisted and bent out of shape. Now, when some people look at God and his design for you and for me, they, they think God is all about the rules. 
He loves rules and he loves punishments. I mean, when you just kind of generally look at Scripture, you see that God has a lot of rules. And they think that that's what God is all about, but that's not what God is all about. God is all about helping you to live your very best life. God is about helping you to live perfect right where you were designed to live, to be able to operate and function the way that you were designed to function. He's a good designer, and he knows what is best for you, and he knows how you can be most fruitful in your life. And surprisingly, it doesn't really look like just doing whatever you feel like doing. When you sometimes do the things you're not designed for, it sometimes goes awry. And that, for the most part, is what 1 Corinthians is about. The Corinthian church, and you and I, are called to live our best life, our most fruitful life in Christ. The problem is, for the Corinthian church at least, is that the Corinthian church was living outside of its intended purposes, and they are a hot mess. But despite their sorry estate, look at how Paul greets the people of Corinth in the introduction to 1 Corinthians. Now, just before you look up on the screen, remember from last week, if you were here last week, you remember from last week, we talked about just how much of a hot mess Corinth was. And Paul knew they were a hot mess. He knew that they were a hot mess. And yet this is how he introduces, this is how he speaks about them in the introduction. This is what Paul says. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people. I got to tell you, there's not many people that would look at the Corinthian church and call them holy. But to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You see, Paul begins this book of 1 Corinthians by stating the true identity of of the Corinthians, Paul calls out their purpose and their design. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. But Paul, like a good father would, Paul doesn't leave it at that. He recognizes their calling. He recognizes their purpose and their design. He calls them out on that. But he also has no problem with wading into the hot mess that is the church in Corinth. These Corinthians are like the butter knife. They were meant for holiness, but they are engaging in all kinds of activities for which they were not designed. So let's look and see what kind of a hot mess the Corinthians have gotten themselves into today. But just before we look at today, let's just look really quickly at the big picture. So last week we looked at uh, chapters 1 to 4, at the quarreling and the division. If you weren't here last week, the Corinthian church was circling the wagons. Within their church, there were factions popping up within the church. Some said they followed Paul, some said they followed Apollos, and they were fighting amongst themselves in the middle of this division. They were doing everything other than what they were designed to do. And Paul calls out this division. But he mostly focused, if you remember in these first four chapters, he mostly focused on calling out the Corinthians' identity in Christ. He played off the term sanctification that he opened up in the introduction with. If you remember from last week, sanctification is the action of making or declaring something or someone as holy. Paul talked about that quite a bit. 
Through Christ's death and resurrection, we have been sanctified. And the Holy Spirit continues to work in us to sanctify us through and through. So now to this week, the story continues as we look at the disorder amongst God's holy people in chapters 5 and 6. As we look at these chapters today, I want you to notice how Paul continues to talk about identity and the work of sanctification within the Corinthian people. But he adds another theme today here, which we'll get to in just a moment. A theme that along with the, the identity theme flows throughout the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians. So let's first look at identity, because that's the one we're familiar with. Paul consistently reminds the Corinthian people about who they are in Christ. Last week, we've already heard about how Paul says, Corinth, this is who you are. You have the mind of Christ. You are God's holy temple. You're filled with his spirit. You're sanctified and holy. We're going to find some more things today that Paul says that are amazing about their identity in chapters 5 and 6. We'll learn about those today. But Paul also says, though this is who you are, you're not acting like it. You're acting like this over here. You're acting like quarreling babies. You've circled the wagons and, and you begin to infight. And today we're going to look at chapters 5 and 6 and we're going to see some other crazy things that the church has gotten itself into. So the first thing that we're going to continue looking at, the first theme that we're going to continue looking at is the theme of identity. So that'll pop up lots today. The second theme that's going to partner with identity and move throughout the rest of 1 Corinthians is the theme of witness. Paul begins to speak about the witness the church has in the community that surrounds it. And so we're going to read more about that starting in chapter 5. The church in Corinth is a hot mess. And we already know they're dealing with division within the church. So what else is going on here? Well, you may remember from last week that the church in Corinth lives in Corinth. This hustling and bustling city, which they estimate was probably about half a million people living there, which is pretty large uh, for this time and, and space in the world. And this church is in the middle of Corinth, and Corinth is known as the Las Vegas of the Roman world. Now, I don't mean to besmirch the reputation of Las Vegas, but we all know that some sketchy stuff goes on there. And here in Corinth, you can multiply that sketch many times over. Corinth was a major trade port located on a narrow strip of land between two kind of larger bodies, uh, um, land masses. It's kind of like what we have in Panama with the division between North and South America. We've got this narrow strip of land uh, in Panama. Merchant sailors used Corinth as a trade port, as a shortcut. Instead of uh, sailing all the way around the bottom part of Greece, they would cross over in this narrow space known as Corinth. This meant that there were lots of transients and, and somewhat sketchy people constantly coming through Corinth. Corinth was known as a place where everything goes. Everything goes. And the immorality that was there was like nothing anybody had ever seen before. So you can imagine the kinds of things a brand new Corinthian Christian would have in their own past, in their recent past. Some of these Corinthian Christians knew nothing of God before they came to Christ. And so they're carrying a lot of baggage with them into their new life. Now, Paul had spent a year and a half in Corinth on his first visit there. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. 
But while he was there, he likely led them through a lot of really good discipleship, teaching them what it looked like to follow Christ, helping them to, to let go of the past and move into the future. And Paul probably spent a lot of time just discipling this crew. But you know how this whole identity in Christ thing goes, don't you? Though they may have started to begin to understand their new identity in Christ— you and I both know that there are some pernicious sins that seem to, to keep dogging us, keep hanging on, things that are of our past that just keep, to fo keep following us into our future. And the Corinthians were living not only with a past that was difficult to shake, but they were living right in the midst of a culture that continued to encourage them to go back to that past. So right at the beginning of chapter 5, we read of a very poor report out of the church in Corinth. So here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now I've used the NIV Bible translation for us here because it probably matches up likely to what you've read before in this passage. But in my study, as I've been looking at this passage, um, there are many scholars that believe this is, this is not a, a great translation, translation because it leaves out um, kind of a piece of this. And so there's another translation that I, I want to read from. It's called the Common English Bible Translation. And it says this, Everyone has heard that there is sexual immorality among you. You see, when we read that first one, we almost think that maybe this is one of the things that was reported to Paul. Maybe Paul just heard kind of quietly, underground, there's some sexual morality going on. It's kind of sketchy, kind of a whisper thing. But what Paul is probably saying here is that this information that there's sketchy stuff going on within the church was likely not something that was quiet. It was likely something that not only he had heard about, but that the whole community knew about. That everyone knows what's going on. In, the, in your little church in Corinth. Everybody knows what's happening. And so when Paul is speaking to this church about behaving badly, he's saying you're behaving badly and it's not just hurting you, but it's hurting the community. And I want you to look at the passage again. Paul says that the kind of sexual immorality is of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. What an interesting thing. In a place where everything goes, there is something happening in the church of God that the pagans all know about. And they're even going, I can't believe that they are doing this. We wouldn't even do this. Here's also, here's something else that I find very interesting in this chapter five. Look a little later in the passage. Paul writes to him, and I, I mentioned last week that Paul likely wrote them a letter before this letter. And here's where we get that, that information from. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So there was another letter before 1 Corinthians was written that we don't have anymore. And Paul's saying, I wrote to you in that letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he has to tell them what he's talking about because they had obviously gotten it wrong. He says, not, all, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. 
But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. See, Paul wrote that previous letter to tell them, be careful about this happening in the church. But they had obviously kind of disassociated themselves with the community. They, they had kind of said, well, let's not associate with anybody else in Corinth because those are the bad people out there. Let's just kind of wholly huddle together. But Paul was saying, that's not what I said at all. What I'm saying is, if there's someone within your church that calls himself a brother or sister that's doing this stuff, those are the people you need to disassociate with. I want you to hold on for a moment. Before we gather the pitchforks and start looking for the people that we need to kick out of the church or we need to disassociate with, I want you to to understand something more here. In the beginning of chapter 5, Paul is aghast. He He is overwhelmed with sorrow because it was well known that there was sexual immorality amongst the church that was even intolerable by the pagans. But not just that. Look as he goes into verse 2. Paul says, And you are proud. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Instead of grief and mourning over hearing about this happening in this church, the church was proud. They were celebrating this. Likely... Likely, the reason the community knows that this is happening is not because they're hearing rumors, but because the church has put it up on their sign out front. Look at how amazing we are. We have somebody in our church that's doing this, and we love him and care about him, and he's he's one of the elders in the church, or he's part of the the whatever, part of the worship team, or he's this or that or the other thing. Instead of grieving and mourning, the church was proud. Now, Paul picks up on something. In his his dialogue with the Corinthian church, they must have written him a letter. I mean, this letter of 1 Corinthians is likely in response to a letter that, that the Corinthian church has sent to Paul, asking him a bunch of questions. And likely in that letter, they said a couple of things that Paul has picked up on. So Paul shares two quotes from the Corinthian church that he's heard about. And they're both in chapter 6. First one is, everything is permissible for me. And Paul talks a little bit about that. The other quote is, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Basically, you've been created to eat, so just eat. There's no sin in eating or overeating or indulging or whatever. Just do it. And basically, whatever body part you have, it's been meant to be used. So just use it. doesn't matter. There's no rules or regulations on this. Both of these quotes show that the Corinthian church was excusing their immoral, their immoral behavior as part of their freedom in Christ and as a part of the way God has designed them. Sexual freedom was not a problem for them at all. The everything goes mantra of the Corinthian culture had infiltrated the grace-filled culture of the church and had created this, this hot mess of wanton immorality. And as Paul looks at it all, he begins to use very strong language. Very strong language. And you understand, right? You understand what he's doing here. Because he is aghast at what is going on. See, Jesus understood this as well. There's some moments in the life of Jesus where he uses strong, strong language. One of them is, uh, we find a, a quote 
that Jesus says twice in the book of Matthew, once during the Sermon on the Mount, and at another time in response to a question about who is the greatest in the kingdom, and that's in Matthew chapter 18. In both of those spaces, Jesus says pretty much the same thing. He, he talks about sin, and he says, hey, if, you're, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your foot is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. Better to go into eternal life lame or maimed than to go to hell with two good hands, two good feet, and two good eyes. That's strong language. That's crazy language. I mean, if that was the case, all of us would have trouble driving here today because we wouldn't have any hands to do so. None of us would be able to find our way around. None of us had, would have eyes to do so. I mean, how many people, don't, don't raise your hands, okay? But how many people here today would have cut off some body part because it's caused you to sin? Of course, every single one of us, every single one of us. This is strong language from Jesus. But neither Paul nor Jesus are advocating for body mutilation. They're not. They're not advocating for body mutilation, whether it be your own personal body or the body of Christ, your brother or sister in Christ. They're not advocating for for cutting things out. That's not what they're advocating for. They are speaking strong words because this is a serious situation. They both take sin very seriously. See, when we play with sin like sexual morality, when we, make, when we make a place for it, when we build a culture around it where it is celebrated, we do a great disservice for the way that God has designed us. We do a great disservice to the way God has designed us. We were not meant for sin. We were not meant for sin. When we welcome it in, when we play with it, we are doing a great disservice to the way that we've been designed. And neither Paul nor Jesus would like us to mutilate our bodies. But they both are screaming at us. You've got to take this seriously. Paul describes a picture for us of what this looks like in chapter 6. And it seems the problem of sexual morality had become so grievous that not only had this first situation happened... Uh, where someone had done this grievous thing that not even the pagans would do, and the church is celebrating it. Not only had that happened, but it seems like there are still people within the church that are following in the footsteps of the, the Corinthian brothers and sisters, uh, where they are doing what is common in that culture, and they're going and they're sleeping with the prostitutes at the pagan altars, the idol worship places. It seems like there are some people in the church that are still doing this. Look at what Paul says in chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. That's marriage talk there, right? But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Listen to what Paul's saying here. Because you are in Christ, you are one with Christ. Are you then going to also become one with a prostitute? Does that make any sense? The problem is not the prostitute. This is the, the, Paul's not wanting you to focus on the prostitute here. Paul's wanting you to focus on the person that is treating sexual sin as no big deal. The person who's going out and treating this as no big deal. And listen, I'm sorry to be talking about this for so long. 
when I read these chapters, five and six, I went, okay, how bad would it look if in our schedule of preaching through Corinthians, we did like one to four and then jumped to seven? Wouldn't that be a whole lot easier here? But as I read these chapters, I kept going, Lord, you've got to have a different message for today. And I kept trying to figure out how I could get myself out of having to preach around sexual immorality. But you can't. I mean, if you, if you look at chapters five and six, there's no way you can get around this. And so I apologize for taking too much time on this. And maybe it's not too much time, but taking so much time on this. But it's in Scripture, and it's a serious deal to Jesus. It's a serious deal to Jesus. My question today, is this passage important for us to go through? Is this something that is still a problem for us here today? I know it might look differently for us here today. We don't have a local uh, temple to Athena or something like that where you can go find some prostitutes or that kind of thing. And you might not be visiting a prostitute at, the logo, at that space, but is sexual immorality still a problem for us today? Is it still a problem? And I'm not going to make you answer this, but I'm just going to say, of course it is. And I'm also going to say that it's not a private problem either. It's not a private problem. As it, as it was well known to the pagans in Corinth that there was sexual immorality in the church of Corinth, it is well known in our culture that there is sexual immorality in the church today. It is well known in our culture. You don't have to go very far to find out that the church in the world today has a serious problem with sexual immorality. It's a serious problem. And I just don't think we're taking it seriously enough. We need to take sin, sexual immorality, and all other sins more seriously. Now, Paul does an interesting thing here in the middle of chapters 5 and 6. And it seems like he begins to speak about something completely different. There's this space in here that feels out of place. And if I, were, if I were editing this letter for Paul, I would have said, Paul, you've got to stick with what you're talking about here. You're, you're, it feels like you're ADHD here for a moment, and you're jumping all over the place. But I don't think that's what Paul is doing. I think as Paul partnered with the Holy Spirit, and the, the book of 1 Corinthians was written, I think Paul is putting this place, this thing in the middle here for a very good reason. See, what happens is Paul begins in chapter 5 talking about sexual morality, and then the beginning of chapter 6, he seems to jump to lawsuits amongst, amongst believers. That some believers are taking other believers to pagan court. And it seems like he jumps to that, and then he jumps back again speaking about sexual immorality. It's this weird space in the middle. And in fact, if you have an NIV Bible that has those clever little headings there, you might only read the one section and then kind of go, okay, well, that's done for today. Tomorrow I'll learn about lawsuits, and then the next day I'll go back to this other one. But you need to read this whole section together because verses five to, or chapters 5 to 6 are all one thought together. Paul makes a list of sins in this passage. He talks about sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, slander, drunkenness, swindling, and all kinds of other things. And I think what Paul's doing here is he kind of feels like he's jumping back and forth is that some of the things in this list are things that the believers are taking other believers to court for. 
So Paul talks about sexual immorality that's being done in front of the public, that everybody around them in the community is seeing this. And then he talks about lawsuits. There's other things. It's not just the sexual immorality, but there's other things. You're taking brothers to court over issues that are now, you're airing your dirty laundry in front of everybody in the community and everybody's seeing what's going on. He says, not only is this destroying you in your church, but it's destroying your witness in the community. You are created for greater things. You are created for greater things. And like it or not, you are Christ's witness to the world around you. Paul is speaking plainly to the Corinthians about the effect sin, all sin, was having on them and the effect that this sin was having on the unbelievers around them. And to do so, to speak about this, Paul doesn't just kind of like lay the heavy on them just to lay the heavy on them. I love how Paul does this. Remember, what, what is the, we're talking a little bit about witness and the poor witness. What's the other thing that I said? One of the other themes that's going through the book of 1 Corinthians? Identity, that's right. Paul keeps coming back. So he's not just hitting them with the heavy here and saying, man, you're messed up, you're messed up, you're messed up. He is couching this constantly in bringing them back to who they are called to be, trying to pull them back to their identity. Two times in this passage, Paul tries to remind the Corinthians of who they are in Christ. Paul lays out this laundry list of sinful activities that they're involved in. Now, I just want to go back to that for just a moment because this list is not just sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, slander, drunkenness, swindling. It's a crazy list, but it includes a lot of stuff. Paul go, lays out this laundry list of activities that they're involved in. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says this, and that is what some of you were you got to imagine that the Corinthian church is, is reading this letter. And man, it's a heavy letter. These chapters especially are heavy. I don't know what you're feeling like right now, but all week I've been feeling this heaviness. It's heavy. But then Paul says, that is what some of you were in the past. But you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by, his, by the Spirit of God. That's what you were. But it's not true of you anymore. This is not who you are. This is not who you are. You've not been designed for this. You've been designed for something greater. And then, so this is in verse 11, just a few verses later. After Paul is talking about the sexual immorality they're into, he, he says, flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Get out of there. Because he who commits sexual sin commits sin against his own body. And then he says this. This is the other identity piece. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Do you hear Paul's fatherly language here? He's beseeching the Corinthians. This is who you were. You're not like that anymore. You're not supposed to be like that. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are God's temple. 
Your body is important. Christ died for you. Start behaving that way. Remember who you are. You were made for something greater. And Paul, Paul pleads with the Corinthian church to rid themselves of this, this sinfulness. And not just for them. You're not your own. You belong to God. And God is using you as a witness of himself to those around you. Well, the story for Corinth isn't over yet. Next week, we're going to get into some stuff that's a little bit lighter. Maybe maybe it's going to be heavy too. But th- these first seven chapters of Corinthians is, is hard slogging. It's hard going through. And there's other stuff. The Corinthian church is a hot mess. It's a hot mess. If you want to skip ahead, if you want to skip ahead and look at 2 Corinthians, they get better. <laughs> they didn't stay here. But in 1 Corinthians, man, it's hard. Because this church is a hot mess. So I want you to keep your eyes open in the weeks to come to see how Paul continues to develop his themes of identity in Christ and witness. But for us today, where does this section of Scripture land for us? Well, first off, we've all had sin in our past. Every single one of us, like I said, we'd be coming in with no hands, no, no feet, no eyes. We would just be a, a mangled mess of mutilation if we were to cut off everything that, that hindered us. We've all had sin in our past. The question is, who's paid for that? Who's paid for that sin? We could very easily try to make ourselves pay for it, and many do. Many people try to pay the price for their own sin. And we know what that gets us, eternal separation from God. If we try to pay for our own sin, it gets us eternal separation from God. Because there is a price for our sin. And the good news for us is that Jesus has gone to the cross so that everyone who repents, everyone who turns away from their sin and turns to Jesus, asking him to come into their life, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be washed, made clean, and forgiven of their sin. We sang a song today, that I, and I can't remember get the words quite right, but the idea is I, I, I could never understand or know the full cost of Jesus' death on the cross. I could never understand that for the full cost of that. And you can't. We can't. What did it, co- what did, what did it cost for my sin to be on the cross? I mean, we know Jesus' life, but the fullness of that we don't, can't comprehend. But Jesus took all of our brokenness, all of our sin to the cross. If you turn to Jesus, he is willing to take your sin away from you, to take it away. And there's no, there is no condemnation today for something that took place in your past if you give it to Jesus. If you feel shamed or condemned by something that's happened in your past, give it to Jesus. And listen again to Paul's words to you. Paul would convince you, he'd maybe ask you the question, have you sinned in your past? Yes, you have. You were a sinner. That's what you were. Separated from God. It doesn't matter what it was, whether it was sexual morality, thievery, greed, drunkenness, slander, whatever it was. We could all have a laundry list of of things we've done in the past. It all separates us from God. But here's the truth for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. If you're in Jesus, 
this, this now is true of you, that you are now different than you were. The sin that so easily held you back, back then, the stuff that would have just destroyed you if it had been given the chance, that has been paid for and done if you were in Christ Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? If not, here's your chance. If you feel the weight of that brokenness of the past and you've never given your life to Jesus, here's your chance. Just pray. You just close your eyes right now. Everybody can just close their eyes right now. And just in your own mind, if you want to come to Jesus for the first time today, here's what you would pray. Jesus, I repent. I turn away from my sinful ways. Come into my life and forgive me. Wash me and make me clean. Come and live in my life through your Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's lesson one from this passage. We have been made clean in Christ. We've been made clean in Christ. That's the biggest thing. Lesson two is that we are called to keep on living that way. To not re-engage those sins of the past or even make up new sins. We're not called to live that way. We're called to get serious about sin in our lives. You've been designed for greater things. And let me tell you, it's not in this passage, but you can't get serious about sin on your own. You can't do it on your own. You were not designed to do this on your own. If you're struggling against some sin in your life, you need to do this as a, as a team. Now, of course, Christ is always there. But goodness, you grab the person next to you. Grab your close friend. Get together with your connect group. Get together with your prayer partner and do battle together against the sinful nature. James says this in James chapter 5. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, James there is focusing in on physical healing, but he's speaking about spiritual healing as well. That when we confess our sins one to another, we are healed. Take sin seriously. Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So that's lesson two. We were meant to live differently and get serious about our sin. And lastly, let's be aware that we are witnesses to Jesus Christ. Of course, we can't do this on our own. And and not just with those around you, but also with Jesus The Holy Spirit lives in you. And as the Holy Spirit lives in you, this is Paul's message all the way through. He continues to work powerfully through you to be a witness to the community. Christ is working in us and through us. Christ has paid for our sins. Christ is empowering us to conquer our sins. And Christ is working through us to witness to the world around us. And I want to pray a benediction over us. I know this was a bit of a heavy day. Sin is heavy. Sin is heavy. What Christ has done for us is a big deal. What he did for us is a big deal. And so let me pray a benediction over you. Jesus, we come before you. We know what we were. We know what we were. And sometimes we spend too much time thinking about what we were. But Lord, we also know what we are. Today we've been sanctified, made whole. Set apart as holy. We are temples for your Holy Spirit, filled by your presence, renewed and clean. So, Jesus, help us to remember who we are today. 
Lord, I pray your blessing over your church that they would know that we would know who we are today as members of your body, as beloved, holy, washed and clean, partners with you, Jesus Christ. Help us know who we are and help us to live that way. Give us the strength and the ability. Fill us afresh by your Holy Spirit who continues to sanctify us and help us to live true to our identities in you, Jesus. And Jesus, I would ask this week that you would give each of us an opportunity to witness to your goodness to our community. Lord, give us an opportunity whether it be just showing hope or joy or whether it be sharing the gospel, whatever it is, give us an opportunity to witness to your goodness towards us, Jesus. So we love you, we thank you, and we pray that you will be honored and glorified by all that we say and do. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.